Oh, man. Um, welcome to episode 16 of the Lunchroom Chatter Podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different. Now, normally when I come on here to do my podcast, I talk to you guys about what may be going on in the world amongst celebrities, amongst civilians, or just whatever crazy shit is popping off that week. I kind of dive into it and let you guys know about it, kind of give you my opinions, my thoughts, you know, just try to keep it to where you guys are entertained. But this week, I'm going to do something different, man. Those of y'all who listen to my podcast every time an episode drops, I appreciate you guys. But do you guys really know me? Do you guys really understand everything I've been through in life? Because me and you are probably more connected than you think. Now, I know some of you guys come here and think to yourself, this right here is a black man with opinions. He loves to give his his thoughts on relationships, on life. And just everything in between. But I'm 30 years old and I still have my bouts, my battles with depression and anxiety. So this um this episode right here, I'm gonna let you guys know a lot about my childhood, which I feel a lot of you guys may relate to. Even if you don't, some of your kids may go through it and it may help you better be able to deal and better be able to. I guess face the face what might happen. So, like I said, I'm gonna talk to you guys about my childhood, you know, growing up and how that played the part on me. How having a brother who dealt with a lot of mental, a lot of mental illness, and he still goes through it now, and how you know a lot of it climaxed in his middle school years, and when he got 18 and older. And ultimately, it led to him doing a three and a half year stint in prison. In this episode, I'm talking about all that because something that is often forgotten about is the family. Like when there's a family and somebody in that family is battling with depression or any kind of mental health disorders. Of course, most of the attention is focused on the person who is going through the struggles. But a lot of a lot of the times the family is forgotten about because, I mean, understandably, a lot of the attention has to be put on the person who is going through the bouts of depression, of anxiety or dealing with whatever disorders they may have. But a lot of that affected me growing up in regards to my brother and until I was able to really step back and think about it. When I think I reached about 17 to 18, I realized that I spent my whole life caring about my brother and watching my mother, you know, go above and beyond, of course, to take care of him because he had a lot of issues that were 10 times worse in regards to him, you know, hearing voices in regards to him having suicidal thoughts in regards to him, you know, having the urge to do things, that would be illegal or just downright, you know, something that nobody would be, would be proud of. But until I turned 18 and 19 years old, like I said, that's when I realized that I also have my own issues and I battle with that inside. And sometimes I still do. So I come on this podcast. Of course, I I love to give my opinions. I love to joke around with you guys. I love to let you guys know. Like what may be going on so you guys could just, you know, have a positive mindset and a positive outlook on life. But sometimes now, deep down, I be hurt in regards to what I've been through and in regards to what I'm still struggling with. So on this podcast, like I said, this podcast, I'm gonna let you guys know a lot about myself. And I guarantee by the time this episode is done. Everything I say is going to relate to you guys in one way or another. And I hope the black community can understand just how crucial and how important it is to talk about mental health and to not make fun of it. Because one thing that we do, like every time, let's let's use celebrities for an example. Every time a celebrity, like for example, when Kid Cudi came out a couple years ago and said he was battling with depression and mental illness and that he was going to take a step back 
you know, to to get his mind right and seek counseling. The first thing I did was go to the comments and I went to the comments because I knew the kind of bullshit I was going to see. I go to the comments and everybody's laughing at Kid Cudi. Oh, how the fuck is you depressed? How the fuck is you going through shit? And you have millions of dollars. Money does not fix everything. It's like when you suffer depression and have bouts with, you know, just your mental health and your mental stability in general, that has nothing to do with money. And that is what people confuse it as. Like being depressed because you can't afford the new fucking Jordans. That's not depression. You are depressed because you cannot get something that is materialistic. But someone who really suffers with mental illness and depression and anxiety. That is not something that just pops up because you cannot afford the Louis Vuitton bag you want. That is something that that person has been dealing with a long time. So a lot of people, you know, find creative ways to deal with it. Like me, I've always, you know, I've always, you know, written stories and poetry and that helped me, you know, better be able to express my thoughts and better be able to, you know, just release some of that built up energy I had. And a lot of artists like such as Wale, who spoke about dealing with issues such as that, they use writing, whether it be rapping, you know, singing as a way to express their creativity. So this episode, we're going to dive deep into my mind. So before we get into this podcast, I'm going to play a song that I feel is relevant to this podcast. It is by my guy, Fora. That is P-H-O-R-A. This is off his last project, which is entitled Bury Me With Dead Roses. This song is called All These Thoughts. Taylor about the fucking flex. Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy <laughs> when you look back at shit. That's when you start to see things for what they really are. Hey, all these thoughts up in my head. I can't sleep, can't get no rest. Miss your touch, yeah, I'm obsessed. So I'll chase you till I'm dead. All these thoughts up in my head. I can't sleep, can't get no rest. Miss your touch, yeah, I'm obsessed. So I'll chase you till I'm, yeah, I'll chase you till yeah. So yeah. I'll chase you till hey. I'm dead How many times can I say this? You know you driving me crazy You never fail to amaze me Doing dirt, hope it fades me Loving you wasn't easy But letting go was gonna hurt Hey, Even going through our worst uh, No, I always put you first uh, You know I hate when you go I always had to put my pride aside And take another L for us to grow True colors always show uh, I know you've been in your zone hey. I know you've been in your bag hey. You know I can't sleep alone can never forget what we had, ayy And even though you switched up, I'm still on your side I ain't even trying to rush none, I'm just taking my time Yeah, just taking my time <laughs> All these thoughts up yeah. in my head I can't sleep, can't get no rest, Miss your touch, yeah, I'm obsessed, So I'll chase you till I'm dead, All these thoughts up in my head, I can't sleep, can't get no rest, eh. Miss your touch, yeah, I'm obsessed, eh. So I'll chase you till I'm, yeah, I'll chase you till I'm, so I'll chase you till I'm dead, eh. So if somebody looked at me and asked me a question, if they asked me, explain yourself, tell me who you are as a person and also tell me, how did you get to the point in your life where you are now and what challenges have you faced that helped shape and mold who you are as a person? Well, first of all, if I could go back in life and start life over with a father Would I do it? Probably not. 
And I say this because I believe not having a father kind of made me who I am as a person in regards to a lot of what I believe is my positive characteristics. I believe not having a father and I'm speaking for myself. I believe not having a father made me more passionate, made me more caring, made me more like just connected to people in ways that I probably would not be had I had a father. And now again, this is me talking, I guess in hindsight, since I grew up without a father. But one thing I don't do is I don't judge nobody. I don't look down on people because we all have our own story. Like, I don't care if you black, white, Chinese, Mexican, you an immigrant, you a legal citizen. It's just I can't judge you because me being black and me being who I am as a person, I know what it feels like to be judged. I'm 30 years old and I believe people judge me all the time, not because they don't like me, but because I believe that I am misunderstood. Now, I'm 30 years old. I've never drunk in my life ever. I've never smoked. The last party I've been to, I was about 12 years old. And that shit don't count because my mother was there. It was a kid's party. And, you know, if you go to a party and your mama there, the shit don't count because you can't get your shit off. You can't holler at a girl. You can't. You can't get into your bag, your Mac bag. You can't have fun. You can't dance how you want because your mother is right there looking at you. So the only party I've been to in my life, the shit don't count. I mean, I went to a party when I was in college, but that shit don't count. I was with, um, it was me, my friend Nana, Naquan, and um, Daisy, I believe. And we went to a party my first year of college and we were just looking at the girls. You know, we looked at the girls, you know, oh, so-and-so look good. And then we left. So that party don't count. But going back to my childhood, um, me and my mother's relationship, it's not like we used to have such a strong relationship. I mean, where maybe about three, four times a week, we used to call each other, especially, you know, the fact that she still lives in New York City because I grew up in the Bronx, New York. And I moved when I was I believe I was 21. I moved from the Bronx, New York to Atlanta because um. My last summer there, I was just like super depressed. But the the determining factor that made me move was um that made me move was I had a best friend um named Bernard Bazemore. Like I met this boy when I was in preschool. I met him in preschool, and you know, all throughout my life, you know, we stayed close. We went to the same elementary school, the same middle school, the same high school. And, you know, like just like he was one of my best friends and like I think he changed me and like he helped shape me in ways that I believe he probably doesn't even know. Like growing up for me, it was very lonely because I didn't have much family. It was me, my mother, my brother and my sister and my grandma. She didn't come into the picture until I was like maybe late middle school, early high school to where I was able to go to her house because before then, um, she, um, she had a, they wasn't married, but she was dating somebody. And you know, like a lot of men, they don't like kids around. So when he was alive, when he was, you know, living with her in Harlem, he didn't really like us around too much. So we stayed home. But like when he began to get sick and, you know, she needed more help caring for him because eventually she, like she became like a caretaker because she cannot care for him the same. So that's when we started coming around helping her. And then when he passed away, that's when, you know, I used to go over there all the time, me and my brother, you know, because I, I lived in a project in the Bronx, New York. So me being able to leave the Bronx and go to Harlem to be in like a better neighborhood, you know, it kind of helped me. It kind of helped me cope because I dealt with like a, a lot of depression anxiety and I feel a lot of it was overlooked because of the fact that my brother like he suffered from a lot of mental illness and he still does now
But one thing I'm always grateful to my mother for was the fact that when I was, I, I believe I was four years old, about to turn five. Now, if you are from New York City, um, we had a program. I'm not sure if it's still there. It's called the Fresh Air Fund. And what that is, is where kids from the inner city who don't have a lot of money and like a lot of opportunities to enjoy their summer or to even be in a safe space. We go up there and we stay with mostly white families who look after us for about two weeks to a month. And like that program to me was special. I remember the first time I went to the Fresh Air Fund was the day before I turned five years old. I went to New Hampshire, New York. I was staying with a white family. And I remember like when I got off that fucking bus, I was so fucking scared. I'm like, why the fuck am I up here? Like, who the fuck is these white people picking me up at the fucking bus stop? I remember, I'm surprised I still remember this shit. So we get to the house. I go to the room. I was crying nonstop. Like I said, this was July 19th, the day before I turned five years old. And I was just in the bed crying and they felt bad because, you know, I didn't want to be there. I just didn't, but... They came to the room, got me out. You know, they had a cake on the table. They, like they made me feel up. They made me feel at home. And those two weeks were some of the best two weeks of my life. And then after that, I went back every summer to a new family. But with the new family, I went every single summer with them from from when I was six years old up until the time I was maybe fourteen or fifteen. And those summers like helped shape me in ways that I did not realize until I became a man. The fact that I grew up in a bad area in the Bronx, New York, I grew up in the project. So every single summer, like, you know, when it's hot outside, like that is when crime like it escalates, you know, because in the summertime, you know, it get dark later. You got more people outside. So people beef. And, you know, in the summertime, you know, if like if someone has beef with somebody, they probably going to see them. Then people start shooting, killing each other and shit like that. So me being able to go away and stay upstate with a family who helped instill just personality traits in myself that I still carry today. It helped make me a better man. And so. I'm thankful for that. But going back to my brother and like the mental issues he dealt with, like growing up, you know, he was in and out the hospitals like, I mean, weekly, weekly. And it climaxed to about a couple years ago when um, he ended up going downtown. I believe it was near Columbia University. It was like one of them white fucking like private like Ivy League type schools. And like I said, he suffers from a lot of mental illness. And throughout all his life, but I'm going to start when he was a teenager up until the point when he was about 30. That's about 15 years. He went in and out the hospital. Probably about every two weeks. Like sometimes, you know, he go in and out and he's out in one day. Then sometimes he go in and out and he stay for like maybe a week or two. But to make a long story short, before the incident happened. That that forced him to do. Over three years in prison. Like the year. Well, yeah, the year before. He committed this crime. Like he used to go to the hospital and seek help. I remember one time my mother, she found the note that my brother wrote that said. What the shit said? Um, of course, I'm, you know, I'm not going to explain the note in entirety, but he said he was having bad thoughts. There were people talking to him in his mind. And he feels that if he don't get help soon, he is going to do something that he will regret. And my mother, she took this note to the mental hospital. 
the same one he was going in and out of for years. I believe it was Bronx, Lebanon. She showed them a note and let them know my son is having these thoughts. If you guys don't finally take him in and get him the help he needs, he is going to do something that he is going to regret. And this went on for about 15 years in a climax when he was about 30. He went to Columbia University, the area surrounding the school. And um, this is always tough to talk about because, of course, I don't condone it. Yes, he committed a crime. But and this is why I have a lot of sympathy for people with mental illness. Of course, when they commit crimes, it is a crime. So I am not defending that. I have never excused my brother for what he did. All I'm saying is that when people suffer from mental illness and then it eventually climaxes when certain things happen, like most, if not all of those individuals have been seeking help for years but people don't take people with mental illness serious until something happened. Then they treat them like regular people and ignore the fact that most of the time they've been reaching out for help or trying to get help for decades. And that is why I appreciate when people such as Charlemagne the God speak about mental illness, mental health and anxiety in a way in which it can damage our community because the black community in my opinion, does not understand or does not or does not try to understand what mental illness and mental health can do to certain people. So to fast forward, my brother, he went to Columbia University, the area surrounding the school, and he was charged with attempted rape. Um, I believe robbery, even though he didn't take nothing. And um, I believe the incident happened was there was a, a white student. She was jogging. My brother came up behind her and tried to grab her. I believe he fondled her. Um, I believe this happened inside of a building. She screamed and he ran off. And this was one week after my brother had just went into the mental hospital and asked for help. He went inside. This was about maybe his 300th time going into a mental hospital asking for help. He was released, I believe, within a day or two. He got out. A couple of days later, this shit happened. They had his face all over the TV, all over the news, and that is where. The shit hurt me because I was down here in Georgia. I had graduated college a, like a few months before this shit happened. So, of course, you know, I graduated. I was still trying to find myself as a person and find out which career path I wanted to take. And then, you know, every single day I read the newspaper from New York, you know, the New York Daily News. So this day I, I checked the fucking paper. I see my brother picture. They had the picture from the fucking surveillance camera inside the building. And then they had the video showing my brother walking down the street after the shit happened. And like, I instantly started crying because like, this is my brother. Like, even though he suffers from mental illness, like me and him shared the room growing up my whole life. Like, it wasn't always like this. Like my brother was the one who taught me how to read. Like my brother played the part in me even getting as far as I did in college, getting my associate's degree, getting my bachelor's degree. So as we got older. And like I seen his mental health. Like decline sharply over time as the years went by 
to the point when my mother eventually had to kick him out the house. I mean, it's it's just sad to think about. Like, I remember it was some days where, you know, my brother, well, this is going back to high school. When my brother, he used to wake up at like 6, 6 a.m. in the morning. My mother, she woke up at 6.15, you know, of course, to get us up for school, to get my sister ready for high school. And she had to go to work. And my brother, he used to wake up at 6 a.m. So he can be up before my mother. And he went and sat in the fucking living room and waited for my mother to get up. Just so he can start an argument with her. And this happened every fucking day. And this is why I said I suffer. Like sometimes I get depressed even when things are going great. And I feel as if people judge me. Now, do I care? No, I used to care. Because if someone is not suffering from depression and anxiety, they don't understand. They begin to look down on you and just think of you as someone who was not worthy of their time. So my brother, he used to wake up and like start arguments over the fucking dumbest shit. I remember one time he asked my mother, he said, Ma. Did you put in um did you put in my medicine prescription yesterday? She said, No, I got busy. I got home from work late. I'll do it today. Come on, Ma, you gotta put in my prescription. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm in the room, like, still trying to fucking sleep. It's the summertime. I'm finally free. I don't gotta wake up to like 8 30 in the morning to go to work. Nigga, why the fuck is you arguing at six o'clock? This shit happened so long. I remember I, I came back from college, you know, for the summertime. I had my PlayStation. I was happy. My brother, he sold my PlayStation for like 40 fucking dollars and bought a pack of knives. He used to have knives under the fucking mattress and threatened to kill us. Like every single time we got into an argument. And like, this happens like for years over a decade. And like I said, I didn't realize that I was suffering from a lot of these incidents until I became a man. And like things used to be going great. And I'm sitting around like, why the fuck am I depressed? I mean, I could have a job interview, get the job interview. You know, they could pay some nice money. And I just get depressed to the point where we're like, I don't even want to be around people. And now when I got to college, you know, of course, I believe that, you know, going to college would help me open up, would help me become more comfortable. Because when you go to college, it's like a big social setting. But even in college, I kept to myself. Now, of course, I had my group of friends. I had, um. Nana, Naquan, Andrew, um, Shantario, you know, Diamond, Stephanie. Like I had a nice group of friends that I hung around and like there used to be times when they used to go eat at the um the fucking dining hall. And of course, you know, most of the time I went, but sometimes when they went and ate, I didn't go. Like it wasn't because I didn't want to go. Like, I, like, I just did not feel good that day. And when I say I didn't feel good, I don't mean like I was sick or like I had a fucking cold. Like, I didn't feel right mentally that day. To where I can go outside and be happy around people. So I kept to myself, stayed in my room, you know, wrote poetry, you know, wrote stories. Anything to just release the inner thoughts that I had. And now one of my friends, Andrew, who I met in college, he got married about, I believe about two weeks ago. And um, I had a wedding invite and I didn't go. Now, I didn't skip the wedding because I didn't want to go. Or, you know, I didn't believe in their relationship. 
Like I didn't go to the wedding because I didn't feel right mentally. Like I didn't feel like happy within. And of course you can't explain that to people because what I've learned with over the years, like I said, people who don't deal with depression and anxiety, it's like when you try to explain it, they don't understand and they believe that just because they don't go through it, then why the fuck can't you just turn that shit off? But like, I mean, it's not something you could just turn off. Like I said, um, being depressed is not something where, you know, I'm depressed because I can't afford a sneaker or some shit like that. A lot of the times, you know, I'm depressed on good days. So I didn't go to the wedding because I just I wasn't happy. And something else that played the part in that was the fact that. Like there were certain people going to the wedding, you know, that I wasn't like I would not have been happy around. Now, I understand that people say, you know, if you care about someone, you got to sacrifice, you got to suck it up and you still got to go. Because you going means a lot to certain people. But I just I just couldn't go because like I was dealing with my mental health. I was trying to better myself mentally and, you know. Just recover from the bout of depression that I was dealing with. And there were certain people that was going. Like, I just didn't want to be around them. But like, like, you know how it's like it's like certain people are not genuine. Certain people. Like they don't reciprocate the same positive vibes you send their way. You know how people say out of sight, out of mind. It's like when I was growing up, well, when I graduated from college and, you know, all the years I spent in New York city, people used to hit me all the time because I was right there in New York city. But after I moved from New York to Georgia, some of the people who I considered quote unquote friends, they begin to distance themselves because now I am no longer in the same fucking area. It's the same as if, you know, like for a female, like who has the child, you know how, like if you're a female, like before you have a child, your friends, they hit you up all the time. Hey girl, you want to go to the club? You go to the club with your friend. Hey, girl, you want to go to the Beyonce concert? You go to the concert with your friend. But now it's like once you get a man or like you have a child. Your friends sometimes hit you up less and less because. Like you are not on the same level no more. Well, in their mind. They see you as a burden. When before they looked at you as like an ally someone who they can count on. So, like I said, there was certain people that was going to the wedding that I just didn't want to go. And of course I feel bad about it. You know, you know, the fact that this person, you know, expected me to be there. I haven't seen him in probably since graduation, which was in maybe 2011, which was about almost 10 years ago now. But I had to think about myself and, bettering myself as a person and becoming the best me that I can be. And, um, oh man, something that I still feel bad about is the fact that when I was 20 years old, I thought about suicide, but I didn't just think about it. I was like real close to, um, to killing myself. And I'm gonna take a quick break to pay some bills then we're going to dive into the, oh man, we're going to dive into the time I thought about ending my life. But I, of course, I ultimately decided not to because I thought about my family, my mother, my sister who was, you know, still in high school. My grandma, you know, who was still alive at the time. And I just couldn't picture, you know, and being that selfish within myself to end my life 
and leave that amount of pain and grief onto the people I love. So let's take a quick break and we're going to get back. This is Lunchroom Chatter. This is episode 16. Why the fuck are you sitting here on the edge of the tub thinking about killing yourself? That is ultimately the question I asked myself the day I thought about committing suicide. My mother was at work. My sister was at school. At this time, my brother, he was kicked out the house, so he was no longer living there. And I figured that was the perfect time to kill myself when nobody was home. So I went in the bathroom and um, I locked the bathroom door. You know, in the bathroom, we got the medicine cabinet, but like you open up the fucking mirror and like inside the shit is like pills and aspirin. And like, I legit thought about like, this is the perfect time. I remember the previous night I slept maybe about two hours and I slept so short, you know, so I can be tired during the day. So once I go in the bathroom and take these pills, I could lay down and go to sleep. And just never wake up. Like that was the plan. But you know. Of course you can plan things out. And say you're going to do this. And you know you're going to do that. But the moment came. And I was scared. I'm not even going to fucking lie. I was fucking scared man. Because. Of course me being human. I think about death. And I think about. The afterlife. And what happens after we die. And. Like just how things play out when we are no longer on this earth. And I was scared. And I just remember, you know, I was just, I was crying to myself in general. And like, I couldn't believe that I got to a point in my life where, where I thought the best thing for me to do was to kill myself. Now, I don't judge or look down on those who do it. I just wish that something had awoken within them or they had someone to speak to, to talk them out of it because I can understand. Like, I believe that everybody who committed suicide, if we had a chance to talk to, to talk to them in the afterlife and, and, and like give them a choice, would you like to come back to earth? I believe 99% would say yes because suicide is in the heat of the moment. Now, of course you can plan your suicide out and, you know, decide to kill yourself, but a lot of it is in the heat of the moment to where you may regret it, but at the time you regret it, you probably already hanged yourself and now you can't break free. And now the only other choice is to just, is to die because you already started the process. And before I did it, I just thought about my mother, you know, in the, well, the main, one of the main reasons why I didn't do it was because I didn't have kids. Like my biggest fear growing up was leaving this earth, you know, where they'd be getting shot in my neighborhood, stabbed, or just in general, and me leaving this earth, and I don't have no kids. Because, you know, like passing away and you have kids, I mean, of course, you know, if you had a choice, you would prefer to stay on earth. But having kids, that's like a legacy that you leave behind. Like that is still a part of you that is still breathing when you have passed on. And I thought about that. Like if I kill myself right now in this bathroom. Like I, like aside from my mother coming home and finding my body. And of course, you know, the grief and the pain that I have now caused. What does she have? left of me to heal from what I have just done to myself. And it was nothing. 
and that was probably the major part in and why I decided not to kill myself. And I was just grateful that I didn't have kids because I'm about 80% sure that if I, if I had had kids at the time I thought about killing myself, I probably wouldn't be here because I probably would have done it knowing the fact that I had a child to continue my legacy. And of course, you know, this was about, 11 to 12 years ago and I'm happy I didn't do it. You know, like I said, um, I got my associate's degree. I moved on, got my bachelor's. I, I've met great people. I have a son, you know, like I'm at a, I'm at a happy place in my life, even though I still battle with depression. Like depression is not something that, that you could just, you know, go into a fucking pharmacy and buy a Band-Aid. Like I said, depression, it can happen on good days. And the fact that my brother did over three years in prison, like that played a huge part in my mental health declining. Because knowing the fact that I'm in Georgia, my brother's in prison in the state of New York and not being able to know how he is every single day, like that scared me. And I used to feel bad because like I used to be happy every single time my brother went to the hospital. Now I wasn't happy because he was now out the house and you know, I had the fucking room to myself. I was happy because when he was inside the hospital, I felt he was safe because once I left New York city, and my mother had kicked him out. Like the plan was, was for him to stay at, um, I believe, a homeless shelter near Randall's Island. And of course, like nobody want to stay at a fucking homeless shelter. So he never stayed. He roamed the streets, you know, day and night, you know, riding the bus, riding the train, you know, just. Trying to not go to the shelter or he stayed at my he stayed at my grandmother's house up until until she passed away. And I remember me being in school and me being so fucking scared because I'm like, oh, my fucking God. Like, I used to be scared. Like, every time my mother called me, I used to be fucking scared. Like, I thought she was going to call and say, you know, you know, something happened to your brother. Like, that was my biggest fucking fear. So every time he went into the hospital, it was just like, whew. Like, I was able to, like, decompress and feel comfortable. Because, okay, he's in the hospital, he's being monitored, he's being looked at to where I, like, I can go to sleep, I can wake up, and I know, okay, you know, he is at Bronx, Lebanon. Okay, he is at, you know, Montefiore. Okay, he is at this hospital. Because I knew his whereabouts. Because my biggest fear, and it still is that, Somebody will kill him when he's walking the streets because they don't understand him. And you know how mean and like just, just how fucked up people could be, man. Like, like even going to like Nipsey Hussle and how he passed away. Now, do I believe the person that killed him really suffers from a mental illness? I do. And I believe this because, I mean, of course, you know, the guy was in a mental health hospital on many occasions, even before he killed Nipsey. And just looking at him, like you can tell, like, he's not all the way there. It's like someone who suffers from, like, I mean, severe mental illness, like they have this glassy look in their eyes to where sometimes... They feel like a person and then sometimes they feel so disconnected from themselves to where they do shit and then they realize what they did after the fact. But now it's too late to take it back. And like I said, that goes back to my brother's situation, because after he did what he did when he tried to attack and and rape the jogger. Like I spoke to him, you know, a couple of days after that and. 
Like, I don't think he fully understood what the fuck he did because he was talking as if he was about to go home the next day. And I'm thinking to myself, nigga, you ain't getting out right now. That is a fucking white female student. Nigga, you about to do some fucking years in prison. I mean, good thing this was his his first fucking time getting arrested, period. So that's why, you know, he only had to do three years as opposed to maybe nine to ten years. And, you know, just. In this episode, it's just to show that. A lot of the times when. You know, we have someone that we know that is suffering from. Mental illness, whether it be depression or just everything in general, something that we overlook is the role that that can have on the family. The mother, the brother, the sister, the cousins, like. Like living with that 24 seven. And watching the mood swings with someone. Having someone threaten to kill you, someone. It just makes you just disconnect from reality. And like I said, um, the good thing was that I was able to battle and deal with my. With my depression and my thoughts myself. Because, you know, in college, like I said, where it was many times my friends went to eat and I stayed behind. Because I didn't feel happy that day. One of those times I took out a piece of notebook paper and um, I wrote down everything I love to do. And the list was fucking long. And then since then, I believe I was 21. I made it my life's goal. To do every fucking thing on that list. And then add more. And do those fucking things. Whether I'm by myself, whether I have friends, you know, just just fucking do it. And that is what I do now. And how I was able to become a better person mentally and just become a better me in general. Like I said, I'm not perfect. So, of course, there's times now where I still battle and I still I still face depression. I'm human. And one thing we we have to do, especially African Americans, we have to stop teaching our our young black men that it is bad to show emotion, that it is such a negative Just to express yourselves. Because even now, if we have a someone who expressed themselves, a black man. Like, for example, if when you're in high school. And somebody says to you. A black a black kid says, I'm sad. What happens? Most of the time they get laughed at. They get told to suck that shit up. They get told to, yo, nigga, this, why the fuck you sad for? They get taught to suppress themselves and deal with that shit by themselves. And that is why I dealt with that by myself for so long. But the good thing was that I was able to find myself and become a better person and just become a better me. And, you know, just be honest with myself and of course I didn't go into every single detail of this episode but I hope that this episode helps enlighten some of you guys more into who I am as a person and more into you know some of the issues I've dealt with even now I'm trying to find my mother's birth family I believe she knows who they are, but like she don't like she don't tell me much because my mother, she was adopted at birth. And I don't know my father. 
And I didn't start trying to find some of my mother's birth family until last year when I began to have more and more thoughts in regards to who I am as a person and what kind of personality traits made me who I am. And I believe finding who I am as a person is related to finding more family because they can better explain themselves in in regards to even my father, but especially my mother's side. Like my mother's side is where I'm passionate about finding. Like I've I've found like I've contacted some people, but I can't really go too much into detail because I don't want to open up wounds for them. Because they don't know I exist. So it's like if they're living their fucking life 20, 30, 40 fucking years, and then I pop up out the blue and say, hey, my mother was adopted at birth. I believe your mother is my mother's real sister. Now it's like it may bring hatred or resentment in themselves in regards to their family and the fact that someone kept a sister from them. So just a lot goes into it, but on a future episode, I might update you guys on the search and because I've, I've made a lot of progress in regards to finding out my mother's birth mother, you know, just everybody from that side, because I don't know fully who I am as a person. And that is what I struggle with. And that is what I deal with. But I believe I in there. But of course, I didn't say everything, but I just wanted to let you guys know more about myself and who the fuck you guys listen to, man, because every single week, of course, I come in here, I joke, I laugh. I try to, you know, make this shit entertaining for you guys as well as myself. But one thing I, I, I have always been, I have always been honest with myself as a person, as a man, because I believe that as a as a black man. We all struggle. We all deal with shit. Everybody is not going to love us, but one thing we have to do, we got to love ourselves, man. We got to appreciate who we are as a person because we're not perfect. But I believe that once you find happiness and once you come to terms with who you are, who you are as a person and you begin to work on it. Like those are just the steps you need to grow and become the man you eventually want to be. This is Lunchroom Chatter Podcast. This is episode 16. I love you guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. Let your friends know. Stay safe, man.